Greetings, future fossils. Welcome to another episode of the podcast that explores our place in time, by which, of course, I am spatializing our experience of the passage of phenomena, you know, the, the movement of our observed surroundings and internal imaginal landscape, right? Like that somehow we're taking this undivided swirl of sensory content and we're weaving it together into stories that make sense enough that we're able to navigate well enough. It seems like those stories these days are are breaking down because the landscape of our experience is changing so rapidly. The, the very basis upon which we could build, at least in theory, a consensual, universal human reality. Now, all of that is only getting more and more diverse, more and more tricky and multifaceted. And, and yet, isn't that sort of a good thing, right? Like, isn't the world that we want more diverse and therefore robust and resilient? Isn't that the reason that sex exists, for example? Because a greater number of possibilities and solutions emerge out of DNA recombination than the simple transfer of genetic material down linear generations, right? Anyway, the point is that the spectrum of futures most likely for all of us are all highly networked, highly cooperative futures in which human beings have explored, discovered, pioneered, established, matured new ways of working together. And it is for that reason that I am super excited to have my friend Magenta Siba on the show today. Speaking to Magenta is for me always like peering through a window into the future of what well-adjusted, responsible, interesting, compassionate, well-rounded adults are going to be like. What I would hope that my children or my children's children grow up to be people like her. And by that, I just mean somebody who is as comfortable with political and organizational work as she is with the bizarre spaces of the plant medicine universe. So before we get into that, I just want to take a moment to thank everyone who has been supporting the show on Patreon. 74 of you every month offer to five, ten dollars to support this show and the rest of the creative work that I'm doing. A whole bouquet of projects, including this week, just on the cusp of being ready to put it out, I'm recording an original musical score for a new work of experimental science fiction about the emerging era of artificially intelligent forgeries called An Oral History of the End of Reality. And so I'm going to have the original pages, handwritten pages of this, scanned, and the whole body of text read aloud over my own atmospheric guitar work. So that'll be up soon. So if anybody has been tracking that conversation about how it is that we can continue to agree with one another in the manifold digital metaverse that we are creating for ourselves, 
I know that you will absolutely love an oral history of the end of reality, which will be available to Patreon supporters like Colin Brown. New supporter. Thank you so much, man. Thanks everybody so much for subscribing and rating and reviewing this show on iTunes. It makes a huge difference. You probably have no idea how much of a difference it makes and how awesome a thing it is for you to do. If you haven't done it, please do. And then screen capture it and let me know and I'll send you some treats. That's just a thought I had. Anyway, here's a conversation with the amazing Magenta Siba of the Bloom Network. Well, awesome. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Nice to be here with you. Is it the last time I saw you, you were helping me dance my way out of a funk, like a dark place. And since then, I've regarded you as my spirit animal. And I've, <laughs> I've received that feedback from several other of our mutual friends. They're like, oh, yes, everyone is in agreement that Magenta is everybody's spirit animal. So you got hilarious. Yeah, if if we ever get to the point where we're doing human Pokemon, I think you'll be quite the popular, uh, quite the popular catch, as it were. I'll be everyone's pet. Meow meow. (laughs) (laughs) So you you are uh, working on. Let's see. By the time this podcast comes out, it'll probably you'll you'll be in the middle probably of of your fall fundraising for Bloom Network. So. I'm really curious to hear about how that, you know, how that's all changed. If you want to uh, introduce that project to people and, and, uh, you know, talk about the, the spirit of it and where it came from and what's going on with it now, that would be, I think, a great place to start. It's like every time I see your name, it's, you know, like in the random stuff, it's, you're standing at the prow of this ship. So... <laughs> Yeah, I feel a little bit like I uh, kind of engineered the ship slash get to pilot it with other people and trade who is the pilot. I have some really awesome co-pilots, so it's fun. Um, So Bloom Network is, if people who listen to this podcast are familiar with the Evolver Network, or originally it was called Evolver Social Movement, and it was partnered with the web magazine Reality Sandwich, and basically readers and participants in the online social network that what that's what evolver initially was um kind of wanted to meet each other in person because we're having these interesting dialogues online about psychedelics and other kind of transcendental awareness breakthroughs through other means um people talking about politics paranormal behavior but also really grounded things like permaculture or different kinds of activism and what kind of actions can we take on an individual level to kind of seed the culture with spores we were called evolver spores and nourish our communities and transform the landscapes of a city to be healthier more integrated places for people to be in all their diversity and in ways that cause less destabilization to our local ecosystems and at this point at a planetary scale um, since we're really affecting the, the planetary ecology as a species at this point. And so at some point it became clear that we needed to separate with Evolver as an entity 
And so that's what Bloom Network is now. And it is led by the local organizers who were the Evolver Spore leaders before. And so we basically designed a peer leadership and community governance model so that it's a non-hierarchically led, essentially it's an international cooperative. Uh, legally, there's not such a thing, but that's what we function as. Um, so we mutually inform each other as to, you know, what are the successful policy innovations that are happening in local food movements and how can we share those across other cities? So our mission with Bloom Network is to accelerate the adoption of regenerative culture practices. So that's kind of what we simplified the whole mission of Evolver and kind of grounded it in a second phase of practical action. So what I mean by regenerative is you have kind of extractive industry where the way we're organizing as a society is you know taking more resources whether that's natural resources or human energy and life <laughs> life force like i always think of like the skexies where they're like give me your juices <laughs> yeah, it's totally the uh, my friends call goldman sachs the giant vampire squid it's like <laughs> <laughs> You know, that thing from the brain bug from Starship Troopers. It's like, I'll take those yeah, ideas. Totally. Thank you. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that. So that's kind of one on one end of the spectrum. And then you can think of sustainability as ideally in balance. Like you're, you know, giving back as much as you're taking. And ideally things are in balance. But the idea behind regenerative culture, regenerative agriculture, uh, any kind of, there's also a regenerative economic movement. Um, the idea is that you're creating the conditions for more life, more diversity, more anti-fragility. And so behaving in this way as a species, as a collective, tends to be a much more resilient way of going about things. You have more buffers around climate change or systems collapse. And so from my perspective, that's one of the, like, at least personally, one of the biggest things I could be putting my energy into as I'm, I'm looking at a global scale at what's happening with climate change and increasing displacement of populations and the risk of escalating conflict and so forth. And, you know, still the underlying currents of so much trauma that people are dealing with from, you know, centuries of, you know, genocide lingering uh slavery all these sorts of things like we haven't really worked through these big gnarly problems in ways that we treat each other and so bloom network is basically like a giant culture jamming project of inclusive kind of do it together aesthetic where together as a i mean it, it it's more an anarchist organization than anything um like we're really sharing with each other and innovating what can happen to make the situation better and it's people who are looking at it at a really big picture I'll, you know a lot of people come into it from their experiences with psychedelics where you often tend to have these you know your consciousness zooms out to really look at cosmic scale patterns in the universe <laughs> and so you know part of that too is how do you integrate that because a lot of what's out there for integration is like personal and there's not a lot of social integration. And you, I think there are probably hundreds of millions of people across the whole planet doing psychedelics and or having insights of, you know, the system is not working. 
as as collapses happen and so forth, and and as uh, income inequality continues to happen, and so it's like how do we take those insights and make infrastructures and empower people to live lives that are integrated and healthy with our with our individual bodies and like our collective bodies and how we um, shape uh, reality together. That's a pretty fine way to put it. Yeah. The shift from, you know, I, I think of the work of Charles Eisenstein when you're talking about this stuff with his, like as early as his book, The Ascent of Humanity, he was talking about moving out of an age of like linear exploitative growth, you know, where you're looking at a forest and you see logs and you're like, I can burn those logs to, you know, where it's an input output thing to this more circular. And he said, he talked about it as like the movement from an age of fire to an age of water where you're looking at cyclical exchanges in an ecosystemic view. And, you know, I know that Daniel Schmachtenberger has talked about this on, uh, the future thinkers podcast, you know, when people were asking him, you know, what should we be designing for if we want to like, if we want to design something of value to the future. And his answer was look for everything that has an open loop and close it. You know, like look at that's, that's how I understand regenerative is rather than just, you know, denuding the system rather than just, sucking everything you can out of the topsoil that you're putting stuff back in there because you real because there's that clearer in in design you know that talk about like cradle to cradle you mm-hmm. know that like all of the waste products of an industrial process end up becoming the input or the food source for this other thing and i i just have this like this vision of people living on farms using robots that are mining our landfills and and generating you know useful goods and like upcycle everything you know this movement from the linear growth of like weeds and a lot to like a stable human ecosystem but it's interesting how different that is when you talk about it being like an anarchist organization in some spirit to what most people think of as anarchy when they hear like a jungle is anarchic but it's not rebellious. It's not resisting or protesting the previous system. It's not a revolution. And so I'm really curious how the spirit manifests with you and, and your colleagues in this this planetary network and, and how that, where the emotional center of gravity is and how that's expressed differently from a lot of these other types of solutions. Right. Yeah, I actually came into Bloom because I was working in a, it was actually a socialist, feminist, kind of militant Marxist organization, which overlaps with anarchy a little bit. Um, <laughs> the bookstore, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it was just very oppositional politics and a lot of yelling. And every time I walked into the room, there was so much trauma and there were no tools for dealing with the trauma other than kind of a static political approach that had been designed in the 70s and hadn't changed since then. And I was, you know, going to a lot of protests and kind of when I first moved to San Francisco about a decade ago, like looking at um, just kind of gained a political awareness and saw like a much greater diversity and inequality than I'd ever been exposed to growing up on a farm in the middle of Montana. But 
Bloom Network, the approach we take is there's a lot of healers involved. There's a lot of, I don't know how to describe it other than that. Like we come at things from love first and trying to understand where someone's coming from and are oriented around process a little bit more than pushing an agenda. Mm. So we try to find practices that facilitate deeper dialogue across difference and use language. And this is what I mean when I say we're a culture jamming project. Like we try to use language and aesthetics that help different social movements bridge across their kind of cultural language barriers to better collaborate and coordinate because you have this kind of fragmented left and even within anarchism like i'm finally starting to catch up on more of the anarchist theory and there's a lot of fragmentation there as well whereas you have these more unified more conservative or what now are called right wing i actually don't really understand the like the left right dichotomy very well but um there's like a need for more connection among the left but also among the right like my parents are conservative republicans and if i want to have a relationship with my family like i've had to learn to communicate with them with kindness and patience and just sharing what i've learned without telling them no you're wrong and with it anger like coming at people with an anger you're going to get that that's the oppositional politics frame mm. you're often going to get that back and there's a time and place for that like frontline land defense movements for example among indigenous people or black lives matter like hey stop and then there's also i think a need for cultural spaces where people can come in and open their beings to each other like truly and have a place to witness each other outside of dogma outside of like a political framework or even like a reality framework. <laughs> um, and that there's like uh, something happens when people step into a container that's held with that openness and permissiveness and encouragement to authentically directly connect with each other and with this bigger awareness. And that's kind of underlying frame of the organization and how we host local events and also our online events is engineered to help dialogue happen across all these kind of layers of aggression and really trauma that people are bringing that I think can get in the way of making, you know, mutually beneficial solutions to problems, basically. Dang. Yeah. This whole thing about, like, I think there's that Parahamsa Yogananda quote that environment is stronger than will. And when my new roommates moved in last fall. One of them threw that one up and then I threw up in jest, you know, let thy will be the whole of the law, you know, the, the Aleister Crowley thing. But I was really, it does seem as though, you know, the more I sit with it, the more that so many of these conflicts are emergent from the way that our embeddedness or enmeshment in different economic and ideological systems have us sort of, I don't want to say victimized because that's like 
disempowering in, in the wrong way, but playing for a team that we're not aware, you know, in just the slightest shift of circumstances, we'd be playing for the other team, you know, that it just, we're just so close to one another, actually. Or there was that quote, I forget who said it, but it was, there's nothing more like a man or a woman in the world than a man or a woman. And that yet we, we emphasize our differences and like emphasizing difference makes sense. If you're looking to synergize people to find out where their strengths are. Right. But like, we're clearly at a point when I like the way that Doug Rushkoff frames it for his team human podcast. He's like, we're, <laughs> you know, you're liberal, you're conservative, you're whatever, you, you know, you're whatever all these identity things are, you're a human being. And so all of us have a, a set of common needs and we're all imperiled to the extent that we neglect our common humanity. So that does like that kindness thing keeps coming back in. It's like a, a core issue. I have the same thing with my parents. It's like not not exactly like one of them is supposedly liberal, but has pictures of him with George Bush, and then the other one is like waving her fist at the, at the chemtrails. And it's like to feel that divide in my own being, like my brother and I being like, how do we reconcile these totally? seemingly antimonious expressions of human nature and like actually walk out into the world as something more than just a neurotic conflict of opposites you know to be more, to be <laughs> right? to be synergetic and not not just ambivalent you know to really find that greater whole that contains those polarities rather than to feel dashed you know to yanked back and forth by them I don't know. I'm just ranting, but that's valuable stuff. What kind of practices are people putting into place? Like what, what kind of wisdom is being shared through this right now? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot. No, I'll give some like grounded examples. Um, there's a group in long beach that initially was, uh, an evolver chapter and they basically ended up focusing on their local food movement so they made a coalition, basically. It's called Long Beach Fresh. And it's between their uh, local food growers, farmers markets, restaurants, and eaters. So that they do you know, education and outreach to better connect those groups of people and make local food more available. And they also are collecting and working on uh, public policy recommendations for not just Long Beach, but also other cities to make healthy, affordable, local food accessible for people. So local food tends to be something that a lot of the local chapters are working on. And then when we connect with each other online to share, which we've been doing internally so far, but I think soon we're going to actually make that public so that we can share with other organizations. I don't think those calls need to be internal any longer. So, for example, there's people in Sydney, Australia, doing something similar, um, but on a more nationwide scale. There's also in Los Mochis, Mexico, the local Bloom chapter there is focused on, they have a coalition of 17 NGOs from the city that are collaborating on a network of eco-parks. And so what they're doing there is installing community gardens 
and there's like a sports area and an art stage so that people can do workshops and cultural events and these sorts of things. So they're kind of providing infrastructure for vibrant community interaction in, in a network across the city. And they're, they're being really, they've gotten recognized by their city and state governments for the work they're doing, which is really cool. So that kind of like nitty gritty, you know, everything from, so the things that we're, sh- the practices we're sharing with each other there include, um, you know, permaculture practices, community gardening, what's effective to educate people about community gardening and encourage them to garden in their own homes and grow some of their own food to establish a better connection with land. A lot of those groups also have connections with the indigenous people who are in the area. Um, so starting to repair some of those relationships. And so that's something we tend to talk a lot about because that can be a tricky situation for people or, you know, people who are new to trying to be um, in solidarity with indigenous people, you know, might not know where to start. They uh, might have some still be replicating some oppressive behaviors and that kind of stuff. So we try to mutually educate each other and lift each other up about that sort of thing. Another thing that's happening. So there's like permaculture in Baltimore. There's a woman who's doing a, uh, a yearly festival about everything mushrooms. So teaching people about cultivating mushrooms uh, of different kinds. They have people from the psilocybin research project at Johns Hopkins come and talk. They go wild harvesting. They talk about mushrooms for bioremediation, that kind of thing. Um, So those are some like ecological examples. There's also people tend to, in a local bloom network, form almost like informal business networks with each other to help each other with their kind of visionary business offerings. And so people might give a presentation at a Bloom event about, for example, someone gave a presentation about a video game that teaches kids to garden. And one of the like one of the tasks in the video game is you have to go ask your grandma about some gardening she did or something like That's that. That's some sneaky shit. Right there. <laughs> Culture jamming is like fun. I'm not sure. Did, did Farmville actually create any farmers, or did it just? I mean, that's. But yeah, that 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 whole the thing I find fascinating about this is like I've been I've been stewing in the historical writings of William Irwin Thompson for the last couple of years and just interviewed him for the show a couple of days ago and his his emphasis on so much of this this archaeology of consciousness stuff is the is the McLuhan uh bit about Marshall McLuhan's bit about how every new age retrieves the culture that was suppressed by the previous age and so so much of what's coming to the fore in human society right now is stuff that we abandoned in like the 17th and 18th centuries you know the village lifestyle we're calling it decentralizing our food production, but it, it's because it had to, it was once decentral, it was once non-central, then it became centralized, and now we're decentralizing it again as a, as a strategy for resiliency. Like all of these little things about discovering that, that uh, your kids' allergies are going to be worse if they don't play with their hands in the dirt. But like we're, but we're coming about this, like we're having to like remedially part of that regenerative thing is like regenerating the parts of us that just like we actually feel a resonance with this stuff. Cause like, you know, you're, I'm looking at you, you're in a barn, you've got dirt under your fingernails. 
part of me is like really jealous because we've tried to grow food in my yard here in Austin, Texas, and it's just like not forthcoming. You know, like we don't have the right amount of sun or whatever. And I just, when your your circumstances again with the like environment stronger than will, like most people, especially now that you know more than half the people in the world are living in metropolitan environments, most people have lost the sense of like relevance i feel or like even the opportunity to get personally involved in this stuff uh you know like we're all kind of like so many of us are kind of like trapped in a machine so i'm really i'm fascinated by like what it's gonna take to get us to like adapt our technological environment to suit this more humane and grounded and holistic existence i don't know I actually have this increasing theory as I read more. In my early 20s, I read a lot about artificial intelligence, especially knowledge representation, which is using computer science to model how humans use language. Um, and just in the, de- in the process of developing Bloom and looking at what kind of online collaboration tools that we need and looking at the mainstream platforms and the sorts of problems that they're causing partly simply because of their business model. Um, I don't know. And somehow in pondering like our relationship with technology, which is something I just, I think a lot about. um, I often have this thought or I guess wondering if um, kind of the, through the industrial revolution and now where we're at with the evolution of technology and making tools, it's almost like these greater life forms of consciousness are coming through and we've developed this ability to use minerals from the earth and metals to craft them into um, tools that can teach us amazing things and do things and sculpt things in an amazing way. And I wonder if, you know, the process of birthing that, life form or ecosystem of consciousness or embodied intelligence is a way that i think of it like the the process of doing that has been a learning process where we've disconnected from some of the like fungal and soil networks and now we're you know if if we're gonna continue to survive and that ecosystem or that layer of machine embodied intelligence is going to survive like we need to learn to be in symbiosis with the earth that we're on like if we're going to make this leap to you know colonizing other planets or star travel and this kind of thing um like you know there's the sun's not going to make the earth impossible to live on for quite a while. So we've, if we can make it through this state of like climate change and, you know, risk of world war three and this kind of thing and other x risk factors. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think a lot about that. Um, and respect a lot, the plant medicines role in reconnecting us with nature as well, especially ayahuasca and mushrooms and the other plant teachers and really respect them as really conscious intelligent living entities that are in relationship with us and the planet and um i'd love to see more cross-pollination between like the acid cultures that of a lot of the tech people in the bay area for example with uh with more of the plant medicines um but i think that that's a key 
key piece of um, accelerating the the rebalancing of our relationships with ecosystems post-industrial revolution. That's fascinating. This, this specific issue to focus on the psychedelic adjuncts to these different worldviews that <laughs> I've always felt that LSD presents a more celestial erotic in its urge for liberating unity kind of a forward escape model that it's you know it's this sense of the cybernetic angel awaiting us in the you know at the end of time in the you know the shining city on the hill kind of a thing it's not pointing backwards at our paleolithic origins at our identity with the rest of the living world it's really pointing forward through that Tim Leary space migration intelligence enhancement life extension or increase intelligence and you know life extension the smile model of just like let's let's beat it let's get out let's do this and it's like that's so you know if you look at like the Rudolf Steiner model his sort of devil he splits into the you know one piece one one half is lucifer it's like seeking unity and transcendence and the other half is Araman is is seeking multiplicity and materiality. So like one's moving into ever more refined and one's moving into ever grosser and like less subtle. And so you can see the way that like both of these taken in exclusion, you know, just like any any horn of a dilemma taken to the exclusion of the other horn, it creates uh, suffering and like, it, you know, creates quote unquote evil in the world and i've it's just been it's so fascinating to me that the history of this web like the you know if the world wide web is basically just a reinvention of the existing subterranean wood wide web like nutrient networks that exist you know in these interspecies forest relationships that it's like lsd is sort of the herald of the machine descending in like a conservation of momentum. It's descending on our own drive for transcendence and like our own upward movement, our extropian drive to like transhumanize. And then it's like coming back down through that and resulting in like extraordinary uh, growing wealth disparity and like the, the ravaging of the ecological realm and like all this stuff and um yeah like i just it's curious the kind of futures that are presented by a look backward through ayahuasca or through psilocybin are so pronouncedly different and so much more like anchored in like the living intelligence of what is already. And I don't, I don't know if you really want to speak to that or not, but it, it, there is a, um, I feel like there's an orientation, like we're missing something like it's a simple human blind spot. Like we want to go forward. So we assume going forward is the solution, but we're moving in a nonlinear complex system. And it actually requires us to like not retreat with our eyes forward, but actually like sort of like, walk backwards or turn around to to like move retrograde into the future i don't know this is funny when you you dropped a couple of sentences for kind of how to prepare for talking with you today and one thing you said was how 
how can we be good ancestors and um and all and and something else too but one of the things i thought about is so, so there are kind of two things in the, the last couple of things that you've said that i think of one is what a data scientist friend of mine i think calls tribalism like our behavior that is part of our animal body and bi biology that we don't understand like how powerful of technology tools we have available and mindfulness tools and like acid is one of those tools for example and those you know through our biological drives for like protection or attacking or there's a really fucking fantastic comic by the oatmeal out right now on what's called the backfire effect um and that's he kind of dismantles he kind of shows how the architecture of your belief systems work and how you will defend those similar to how you will defend being attacked by a tiger or another human that's attacking you it's the same biological thing um totally so i think that's one key at this time right now that we like there's just like an intuition too that i have that understanding our like the social drives that are part of our animal biology are like a really big factor in conflict um and kind of political gridlocks that are not being looked at very well um the other thing i think about is like i wonder if we're at this time and i know other cultures have a different already operate in this conception of time like the languages of quechua and shipibo when i hear them spoken for example are relational with the infinite now it's not like subject object i do this to this thing it's like a living just how their grammar is I, I haven't i don't i haven't learned the language yet but what little i've heard it spoken and have read of it um that's how those languages are kind of described um but there's this a similar th problem that we're coming up against around our like intellectual understanding of which shapes our behavior given how much science and policy and law like governs governs human behavior and a lot of this is in um anyway yeah so <laughs> it seems like another key is like coming to this conception of time that is relational and omnidirectional and this nowness where we embrace as our own body like the other organisms that are on this earth and the cosmic cycles of movement of um, stuff through through space and how like I think there's a, a place in which you have conscious embodied contact with like such a plethora like infinite wisdom of the whole history of our um, our uh, our, our 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 DNA and the like the growing of our bodies through all all this stuff that we've contacted with through time to evolve you know like a human body and we're receiving light from other stars in a way that was like a funny concept of time right like we're just experiencing something now that's so are the stars in the future <laughs> like yeah. um, so there's something about that like thinking of time that way that I think opens up an integration with what you described of this like 
momentum upward and outward and out like outside of the body or something for me actually acid always has the effect of helping me be better in my body because it integrates my intellectual mind with my physical body and i also have experiences with ayahuasca that are most of my ayahuasca experiences are about media and technology um and like the shipibo people or spirits or something like explaining to me how they use technology and what their conception of that is at a biochemical level and explaining like, look, this is what's possible. This is what our cultures have done for thousands of years. I keep coming across this reference in very different books, which is interesting enough to like remark on it at this point. Um, But of people talking about how there used to be cities in the Amazon before the conquistadors came that were um, like very uh like functional advanced like urban environments embedded in the jungle with ways of farming that were not obviously not slash and burn etc and when the conquistadors came those people got scattered in the forest and potentially what we think of as uncontacted peoples now are actually you know refugees of that situation and so it's there are possibly intact uh, or arguably intact probably not so intact at all um, you know, lineages of very sophisticated understanding of material science and the use of, you know, natural living materials in a, you know, symbiotic, non-destructive, non-extractive way. Um, but I also think that, you know, you know, contemporary Western culture scientists studying material science should up their game in terms of <laughs> using, yeah, materials that both mitigate kind of the destruction of mining practices or we learn better to re uh, reclaim land that has gone through that process um and also you know innovate materials that can clean up you know for example plastic in the ocean or you know there's a lot of scientists working on the carbon problem and trying to figure out every you know studying everything they can how can we use fungus in the soil or biochar to soak up carbon from the atmosphere how can we create machines out of rock or something else that can filter it and capture it and store it in rock again or something like that um that stuff's all really interesting to track too yeah that thought of that thought of no the thought of technologically advanced lost civilizations is i think you know, like as we move out of a more or less linear media environment with print and I mean, this has been going on f- for longer than you and I have been alive, but, you know, to come awake at a moment in history when we're in the midst of a transition from that linear to a nonlinear networked media environment, you know, and we're like participating in something that's quote unquote real time. That's like the movement from Newtonian physics to like Einsteinian relativity theory where the present is relative to the observer. And so we're operating in, in what I learned this, this delicious vocabulary word the other day, diachronic. So we think of like, everybody knows synchronicity, you know, you believe in it or you don't, but it's like everyone understands, you know, the, the idea of two things happening at once, but there's like also diachronicity, which is the way that things unfold over time. And this was in relation, I, I picked up this word in relation to how, like the color red, this is the work of Francisco Varela, the color that we perceive 
is not a synchronic phenomenon. Like it's like our perceptions are occurring at all different times. They take different times to arrive at the brain from different parts of the body. You know, like the different parts of the brain are responsible for parsing the shape of something and the color of something. And so like our experience of your pink shirt is like, it's not actually a synchronic experience, like qualitatively it is, but quantitatively it's like all these things are happening at different periods and then being like stitched together into a single experienced moment. And I think that that's like the deeper we get into this digital nativity, the more our linear story of humanity is going to unravel. And we're going to realize like uh, William Gibson says, the future is here already. It's just unevenly distributed, you know, and that, that there's like moments that are relative to us, you know, relative to our inertial reference frame or whatever in like relativity sense that there are moments that are actually more sophisticated behind us in some regards and more primitive in front of us. And that when that kind of narrative breaks down that we, I I just see all of it in terms of like the great humbling, you know, to connect this to what we were talking about earlier of learning to see through, you know, learning to develop our compassion and to like acknowledge the, the shared humanity that extends through time. Also that extends to honoring uh, the wisdom that was cultivated, you know, 10, 20, 50,000 years ago. And in whatever sense that that's, that's still available to us. And yeah, it's, I mean, it, it really does seem like we're finally starting to wake up in crisis to, I guess I look at human beings as like, if you're treating us like a Petri dish full of germ cultures that were, you know, if you stress a a culture in a Petri dish enough, then it will accelerate its rate of, of mutations in an attempt to seek a solution to find the response to that toxin or that environmental stress. And we're finally at that point, I think where humanity is like casting our, our net really wide and looking to, okay, all right, Amazonian tribes, what do you have to say about this psychedelic experience that claims that it's a distinct entity from my own brain and that it's been, you know, it's been inhabiting the planet for millions of years and is not a human thing. What do you have to say about this? You know, like (laughs) even the other day, like you were talking about this sense that we're incarnating uh, like a, a mineral intelligences into our machines, like, Bill Thompson was talking about that too. And about like how literal this notion that we, we throw around this phrase with technology, like the genie is out of the bottle. He's like, no, that's literal. It's like, we are literally creating the vessel into which this, these spiritual forces can enter into the human realm, into our everyday lives. And so it, you know, if, if we're going to, if we're going to study those things scientifically, then it it would seem to anyone who's like super modern, rah-rah, modern science person now that that's a step backwards. But like, what does this, you know, what does that even mean? Step forward, step backwards in this space? Well, I think one of the things that has to happen right now and is part of healing the trauma that continues to drive so much behavior is is decolonization. So you have these um, 
I sh- I'll find the article and send it to you. It's really well framed. Um, some PhD guy talking about decolonization in terms of post-structuralism and postmodernism and literary theory. Um, because I most often come across decolonization as led by indigenous people. And there's just a different way of talking about it that's sometimes difficult to bridge with most white folks. So the um, not just technology, but one of the other factors causing the imbalances right now is the behavior of colonialism, which is a natural organism behavior. Different, you know, like you described mushrooms and bacteria colonize things and some hum- if if i if my studying of history is right like some cultures of humans were colonial cultures and some were not and throughout history all over the planet like you know people have been wiping each other out and being like okay this is our culture lives here now or wiping ecosystems out and transforming etc um but some of that like respect of ancestral wisdom and other frameworks of understanding nature and science and the cosmos it's funny to me that people dismiss i'll say other cultures uh frameworks for reality and describe them as like purely religious or something when like if you talk to those people directly more often than not like they're self-aware of the role of storytelling and language in their culture to maintain balance and their way of communicating is artful and like beautiful and integrated with craft technology uh farming or you know how they get their food these sorts of things and also with their biology like all uh, other like native american people i've met for example sometimes depending um how distressed their people have been sometimes still have like very powerful cultural rights around our biology like around like masculine power or feminine power for example or around you know consciousness and the the difference between a self-focused way of living and a uh experience where you have to let go of your individual identity and be comfortable with that transition so these sorts of things and you know, especially as cities continue to grow and extract more resources and displace more people that are the stewards of the resources like minerals or water are kind of the two big things, oil, etc. You know, we really are going to need to reshape our cities to not have to continue to destabilize environments like that. Like it's like a funny balance because putting more people in cities helps preserve habitats sort of. But like you're describing, it comes with like this nest of problems. And if we're only building cities from a co- like a colonial perspective of this is the best way to do it. And this is the way people get trained in Ivy League schools around sustainable, de- around development, even sustainable development. Like thankfully that's starting to change now more with like regenerative agriculture research and the UN saying, hey, Green Revolution actually didn't work. Like we need decentralized, sustainable, like re- regenerative farming led by the people who live there directly that solves a whole stack of problems anyway i'm like mandarin all over the place again but like co- colonization is i think as big of a kind of a big uh wall between a, a, a 
linear focused mindset and an, an integrative respect for the entire kingdom or cosmos of life um, as much as like a technolo- technological mindset or a, um, you know, simply uh, like a the linear worldview or the the objective relationship that English has that other languages don't necessarily have of like, I, you, it, it's mine, this kind of thing. Like not every language has that. Um, mm. Anyway, end of rent. <laughs> yeah. That thing about, I, I think, you know, you and I are both friends with Mark Healy. Yep. I, yeah. I've, yeah. So Mark was giving a talk on decolonizing festival culture at the Earth Frequency Festival in Australia when I was down there in February. And hanging out with Mark is really fascinating because he's such a sharp cookie, if that's a thing. Um, but he, <laughs> he uh, you know, he's, he's a white guy, you know, he's a DJ, he's, you know, very hip and forward, but he's also got his roots, you know, 40 plus generations deep in this British Isles indigenous very you know magical tradition and traces his ancestry back and is a person of place and has this he's a rare example among white men that i know of somebody who's actually still connected to that kind of living wisdom and hanging out with him uh, it kept reflecting my own colonized nonsense in really fascinating ways like at one point he was expressing some kind of concern with his health and I was trying to diagnose him and he he retorted that he did not want to be treated as a problem to be fixed. And I was like, just thinking about that, that whole thing of like, you're saying it's embedded in our language that we, so many of us, I should say, really want, we, we recognize the wound and we want to help, but we don't know how to help other than by importing a solution by like coming in from above and trying to like, you know, seed this thing as, as a, a problem to be fixed. And when I spoke to Simon Eugler for the show, uh, he, he was talking about respectful travel and how to be a guest in another person's culture. And so much of it has to do with listening. And it's, I mean, it, it almost boils down to like, it's not don't speak until you're spoken to so much as it is like, don't even assume that you know what the issues are. And that, that comes down to even like regarding, I think like even in terms of the way that we approach like climatological issues, you know, like I, the climate discussion is so complex and like the last thing that I really want to see happen is this techno solutionist geoengineering approach where we, you know, seed all the atmosphere with all kinds of reflective metals. And I mean, that just sounds like a disaster. That just sounds like that same linear atomic mindset being like, well, we can fix this. We can fix the planet. And it's like, that's, that's leading us down a very steep trail over like lava. I don't know. I just, have you read Paul Hawkins book drawdown? No, tell me. He'd be a good guest on your podcast. It's uh, He surveys all of the solutions for climate change that are being proposed and ranks them or ranks at least the top. I forget how many, at least 50, maybe 100. And then he has another section of the book that's on solutions that could be good solutions, but they would need more development. There's not enough like, you know, proven 
research on them to comment on in the book. But he talks about um, the cloud seeding solution and and talks about the the different debates around it and so forth. But um, it's just an amazing and it, like tons of researchers collaborated on it. It's a really beautiful, scary but also encouraging thing to read. Awesome. So, what is on the horizon for you and or the Bloom Network? Like, what's what's coming up that you're really thrilled about, or you know, you're you're focused on? Well, we're about to launch. Bloom Network is about to launch an online series of classes and interactive experiences through video and uh we're doing a series on business tools for visionaries to teach people uh you know agile development communications for raising capital business canvassing this kind of thing so that'll be really fun to do and down the road we'll start collaborating with kind of mainstream business schools to provide them you know kind of a impact oriented framework so that's going to be just that whole we're, there's also some like community healing calls around the topic of family, around the topic of decolonization. Um, there's a really amazing woman from Vienna, Austria, who leads those. And so I'm really excited to see her step forth with her, you know, the different healing tools that she has. She's a really powerful person who's been a you know huge part of this transition of Bloom Network out of Evolver Network. And uh, I'm going to start a podcast called Intergenerational Psychedelic Dialogues yes. to facilitate conversation across like the older generations from the U.S. who worked with psychedelics in the 60s, also indigenous people and other kinds of practitioners um, from a more, not so much the psychology kind of perspective, and then young people who are tripping today. Um, <laughs> so I'm nervous about that because it's like stepping out in a way, I'm going to you know, talk with a few people who are more connected with lawyers, <laughs> like, <laughs> like a little bit afraid about being so out about that. But um, I just think it's going to be a good thing to do. And I'm really, it'll probably be really interesting conversations with people. Totally. Although I do, I think, you know, we didn't get to the conversation about the blockchain and decentralizing oh, yeah. all of that stuff. And we, maybe we can go there. We got, we'd have to kind of wrap it quick, but that issue of consulting lawyers is probably really wise because connecting those two issues, I had uh, a message from Coinbase last night that the algorithm that they used to patrol prohibited use of their accounts had detected that I had violated their terms of service somehow. They wouldn't tell me how and that they were closing my Coinbase account. And I was like, huh, what could it possibly be? And the only thing that I could think it was was that it says in their terms of service that you can't use Coinbase to sell drugs. And I have a couple of uh, art prints on my website that have the names of various psychedelics in the tags or in the title of the piece, which obviously you're buying art, not drugs, but to a robot that can't tell the difference, you know, like this... That's um that's one of those issues where <laughs> the like centralization of that process of determining determining who has to be screened for security and who doesn't and who gets to walk in that door and who who doesn't you know is like cutting against the we've let the wrong elf down into that computer you know it's <laughs> like so so to the degree that like the gun is deciding who to shoot 
you know, you should be especially careful because with a human being, you can look, you know, with a human prosecutor, you can look her in the eye and like establish that human rapport. But when it's a computer deciding that you're breaking the law, who do you, you know, who's the, who is answering the support email, you know, spooky anyway. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like you're yeah, getting into some really cool shit. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully I uh, don't get shot in the process. <laughs> <laughs> if you do, we'll interview your ghost. <laughs> I don't think that'll happen though. The the whole intergenerational thing is really vital. I think that's a beautiful thing and I I encourage that. So um before we close out, uh where can people find you? How can people connect with you and 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 the Bloom Network and I'm I'm sure that this is only just wetting people's appetites for more like practical and grounded and substantial knowledge. So where do we send them? Sure. There's a few places. Um, so connecting with me directly, I'm on Facebook and Twitter as Magenta Siba. It's a tree. C-E-I-B-A is the last name I use online. Um, and then my personal website, which has some practical information, is imaginationhealer.com. And then Bloom Network's website is bloomnetwork.org. And then on Facebook and Twitter, we're Our Bloom Network, O-U-R Bloom Network. You can message us and me and other people in the network through any of those channels. Um, and then I also have a Facebook group called Sustainable Technology that some people might be interested in from some of the things we talked about. I collect everything about material science and uh, climate solutions and things individual people can do and industry scale things i kind of pop it all in that group um and other people share things as well that yes sustainable technology is the name of that facebook group that's pretty much pretty much the channels awesome i guess before we sign off do you have anything that you'd like to commit to this time capsule for those unborn generations to mull over in their archaeological reconstruction of 2017 let's see I don't know how this would physically go in there, but the the feeling of love and completely letting go and contacting the whole universe in all of its materiality and knowing that that's okay and possible and allowing the love and connection and pure light that is that experience to be one with your being amen thanks a lot magenta if imagination is our greatest natural resource i'm glad that you are helping us heal it oh thanks michael and i hope i get to dance with you sometime again that was really fun soon soon chubby <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Future Fossils is part of the MindPod Network, an amazing collection of podcasts along with Third Eye Drops, Synchronicity Podcast, It's All Happening, The Astral Hustle. Be sure to go to mindpodnetwork.com and check it out. And if you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash Michael Garfield. Thanks again.